0: get access to exclusive content, and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM.
1: taking all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks our dedicated books and comic show i am your host matthew rushing and with me for the show number 99 and no that's not from get smart <laughs> it's just dan gunther although are you agent 99 in the section 31 um or are you allowed to say
0: well, I'm not really allowed to say, but let me just say, like, I couldn't pull off being 99. I mean, she's pretty gorgeous. I don't think I could do that.
1: <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, Dan, you have a, a real rugged masculinity, uh, and that, that kind of puts you... <laughs> it, it, yeah, it makes it hard to be um, that that wonderful character, 99, so... 86, though, you know, missed it yeah. by that much. <laughs> yeah, I I think you could probably... I think you could probably do it. Um, Yeah. Well, we do have uh, just a little bit in news today. Um, The finale of the Trek Apes series is uh, rounded out. And um, before we talk about that, though, something that was announced at WonderCon was that IEW is going to be doing another crossover, and that is with... Green Lantern. It's going to be a Star Trek crossover, Green Lantern, with the new Trek crew from the JJ verse. Uh, what do you think about this, Dan? Well,
0: uh, I've seen uh, this news pop up a few times, and a lot of excitement kind of around this. I I hate to say that I'm kind of lacking in a lot of my geek cred, and uh, I I don't know a lot about Green Lantern, but I'm gonna have to be uh, doing some. Research, of course, leading up to this, because, of course, we will be talking about these when they come out.
1: Well, you know, um, like the Doctor Who comic crossover, um, and obviously there's the time travel element with Doctor Who, so in um, the space and time and vortexes and, and traveling between universes, which they even do in Doctor Who. So it, it that one, to me, it, it kind of made it easier to stomach the whole idea of a crossover. and made it kind of more realistic if that's even a term when we're talking about this ridiculous type of fiction.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, as we're going to be discussing the finale of the Star Trek Planet of the Apes, so, you know, we're no stranger to pretty ridiculous crossovers already.
1: (laughs) This is true. Um, And the the best part about, though, I think the Green Lantern one is that the Green Lantern comic series is already pretty outlandish, um, and uh, a lot of it can take place in space because the Green Lantern core works throughout the entire galaxy and um so to have him team up with star trek doesn't seem that odd to me and i'm actually kind of looking forward to this one just to see what they do um i i think it'll be kind of fun in the end you know green lantern isn't that much out of the ordinary for Something like Star Trek as well, with some of the powerful aliens that we've seen in Star Trek, and um, you know his his ring is is all about what he can imagine in his mind. He can make happen with the power of the ring, and um, you know it, it just kind of makes him like a lower level Q kind of character. Hmm. So uh, I don't, yeah, I think it could be really really fun, especially if the artwork's good and and the storyline is is you know ridiculous and bombastic you know we're not going to come into it any of these crossovers thinking this is going to be the best star trek story because (laughs) it's not just a star trek story so i think it, it could be enjoyable
0: for sure well the thing about these crossovers is the the hope is that it'll bring fans of both to learn and appreciate the other so at least in the case of me, I know very little about Green Lantern. So I'll be learning a lot about that and maybe get interested. And hopefully there'll be some fans of Green Lantern and maybe Planet of the Apes or Doctor Who fans that have come to know Star Trek in a way that they didn't before. And I think that's great.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and uh, so I'll be, I'm looking forward to seeing where this one goes and and what it looks like when it comes out. Um, I do think it's interesting that they chose the JJ Trek for the crossover instead of the original series, like we you've seen in these other crossovers. It makes me wonder if the idea is to try and um, kind of ramp up the JJ Trek cred um, for people you know get that more visible again as we are working towards that next movie that's supposed to come out next year sometime with the 50th anniversary so my guess is that that's kind of what is maybe promoting this or or prompting this I'm not quite sure but that's just a guess and I I think it's a good idea you know to 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 have Uh, this kind of crossover like this Um, and I hope it works you know I really wanted the Trek Apes one to work and um, we'll talk about that in a minute it's finale but um, you know in the end I go into anything Star Trek wise or fandom wise is that I want to like it that's always my goal and whether or not it disappoints that is kind of up to the material. Well, Dan, um, I guess with that, you know, we can jump right into talking about the wrap-up for the Trek Ape series, and um, what did you think? I mean, we finally come to the conclusion, and everything has been wrapped up, and I don't want to spoil too much of the storyline for anyone who especially hasn't read it, but I just wanted to kind of give our general impressions of everything now that we've finally reached the end of this, and, you know, we've been talking about it, you know, for a few months now, so...
0: Well, Matthew, uh, I, I do have to say I kind of, out out of all of the issues, I, I enjoyed this one the most, I think partially because it does something a little different with the story and there's a bit of an uptick right at the end of this series in enjoyment for me. Uh, there's some great moments. I think I really love the, uh, confrontation between Marius and the other ape whose name escapes me at the moment, um. And then the very end of the story, I thought, was very interesting as well. Uh, again, not probably not something I'm going to revisit in the future, but at least this ending here has left a better taste in my mouth than the rest of the series has.
1: Did it remind you at all? Have you read John Burns' the Rom- Romulan series? Mm, I have, yes. Okay. To me, this reminded me of the exact same story, except in a different universe. The the Klingons, they're trying to get around the Organian Peace Treaty, and they found this alternate universe, and it's kind of the same story. They're using this puppet government the same way they're using the puppet um, emperor on um, Romulus, and uh, that's one of the reasons, like, okay, it's not just a private little war. I've read comics that are like this, too, and done by John Byrne, Mm -hmm. and those comics, I felt like, were really fantastic, so... To me, that's, I think, one of the problems has been with this whole thing is that I've already seen this story before, and I've seen it done much better, right. um, and I think John Byrne's art is even better as well. So, all in all, you know, I had the same feeling there's definitely an uptick in this issue. It's like I wish all of the issues had been this exciting and this good. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really saying much, though, when the ending is it's okay it, it's humorous at the end actually there's a there's a nice bit of humor in the very last page in fact right. but on a whole <laughs> uh yeah this this just wasn't for me so i guess uh, if you were gonna rate the entire trek ape series what would you give it as a, as a rating
0: Ooh, that's a really tough one um in a lot of ways I can kind of see, again, like we were saying, what they're trying to do is, is bring two big universes together and create some excitement and maybe, um, get some fans from one to like the other and that kind of thing. And I mean, I have always intended to check out the original Planet of the Apes movies. I'm kind of embarrassed that I haven't seen them yet. Um, but and, and this has made me want to check them out, just even for some context for where this falls within that movie series and stuff. So on that level, it, it succeeded a little bit. But going as far as just pure enjoyment, ah, I'm going to have to give it something like hmm, two and a half interdimensional anomalies out of five. It's kind of a 50-50 for me.
1: I think I'm just right there with you. You know, just as a series, it, it just didn't hold my interest. And honestly, if we weren't doing the show, I probably wouldn't have read it because I just wouldn't have been interested. Um, I may have picked it up at a Barnes and & Noble and kind of flipped through um, the, you know, paperback release or something. But this this wouldn't have been something that I would have cared about or been interested in. And so, yeah, I think um, to me this is definitely a good uh, two and a half out of five cobalt explosions um, so it's a powerful and, <laughs> yeah it's powerful it's it's powerfully bad um, <laughs> uh, for a reason so um, but you know on the other side like we've said before and I think I've even mentioned there's been so many people who have just really enjoyed um, this series. You know, I was talking to a fan online that I'm good friends with over in uh, England, and he has, has really enjoyed this. Um, and so uh, I think that, um, you know, again, like if, if, if people like it – this is just my opinion it doesn't Mm. really mean anything so um you know we're giving you our opinion and if you kind of like what we like and you know that um you might stay clear of it but i mean if you want to give it a shot i don't think there's anything wrong with that either so i would never deter people from doing that um you know this is is definitely a show um we're we're not trying to make people not read things so Mm. because in the end it's it's all the, you know, it's all Trek and and we all love the Trek. You know, sometimes stories are just better than others.
0: Definitely. And of course, added to my rating and stuff is the caveat that, like I've said, I haven't watched the Planet of the Apes movies. I'm probably not the best audience for this. And perhaps once I have gone and watched those movies, maybe revisiting this comic would make it make me realize that it's a lot more clever than I realized or something like that. But
1: Well, and that's, that is a a little bit of a possibility. I've seen enough of them, um, so that I'm, I'm familiar with the universe and everything, and it didn't help too much, other than just, I, I know all the characters, I know what's kind of happened, so, um... On a whole, man, I'd recommend the original Planet of the Apes film in general. That is just fantastic. Charlton Heston is brilliant. And then the two prequels that they've done, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, are really, really good. Um, my wife and I just rewatched both of them recently, and I think they're excellent. So and I'm really looking forward to the next part of that trilogy that they're going to be doing. And I don't think that comes out till. I don't think that comes out till oh goodness I think I was looking at it it might be like two years from now so oh, wow. <laughs> yeah crazy so um, but yeah definitely worth checking out so well that, that's definitely all we have in news for you um hopefully we'll be getting some more news soon but um, we're at, I think we're just at that point of the year where we're all just waiting for the things that have been announced to come out um, because we don't get too many announcements I feel like at this point of the year. Because really, we're at next year, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we we know all the pros that's coming out. We know a lot of what's coming out comic-wise. So, you know, we've gotten a few things coming out next year, but I... I don't know. I'm wondering if they're just going to wait to to release that as a big, hey, this is what's come out in 2016 for the big 50th anniversary.
0: Mm-hmm. I would have thought we'd get a peek at the uh, Deep Space Nine Sacraments of Fire cover by now, but unfortunately it's not out. I, I feel like that's coming any day now.
1: I was just gathering covers today for some artwork just I try to get those in and kind of have all my, my resources around so when we get to a book it's very easy for me to go and put that stuff together for the show and yeah I'm with you I was very surprised that we don't already have that yet especially since we have the covers for Peter David's books mm-hmm. already and they're coming out in consecutive months uh, but they already have those out um, I heard though that um, David R. George said that he had some ideas for the cover uh, mm-hmm. he had said this on his Facebook and um, so it sounded like they had actually gone back and maybe changed a few things yeah. uh, for his ideas. And so, yeah, I love when the, we hear that the authors kind of have some ideas for the covers and they allow them to go with that, especially, I mean, geez, Seekers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the yeah. biggest example. So yeah.
0: And we just recently got that apparently with uh, Christopher L. Bennett's um, Uncertain Logic that whole yeah, itic yep. symbol kirshara thing was all his idea so yeah it's pretty cool when the authors get to you know give notes and 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 determine what that final look is going to be
1: well and you know i i think that they understand as well maybe they've been listening to the show that judging a book by its cover it can be an important thing and the more exciting the more sufficiently exciting <laughs> that they are uh then um th- the more Excited fans will be for the novel coming out. I mean, just the uh, the picture alone on the front of that new The Returned with the uh, Ambassador class ship on there, in front of that big Malstorm, and space just looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it has me excited. And I've never read, you know, a new Frontier novel.
0: (laughs) Well, that says a lot, you know, judging by a book by its cover, it's serious business.
1: Well Dan, I'm excited this week because we are going to do something really fun and we're going to go all the way back to the Gold Key comics which were the very first comics for Star Trek. And I was really excited to to get into these finally. Um you know, I'd been thinking about doing it for a long time. And you know, there's the nostalgia that goes with kind of reading something it took place at the very beginning of Trek in general. And what was that like? You know, what were those first things that people got that weren't just the TV show? And uh, I think Gold Key Comics um, really hold a special place in a lot of people's hearts. And, and I mean, obviously, doing the reissues like they have, doing such a fantastic job of the look and the feel of them, you know, people still really care about this this trek stuff, fifty years. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I do have to say, when I first heard this was coming out, and you know, got a look at it, I I I I said, "Great galloping galaxies!" <laughs> I get to read. Yes, it.
1: <laughs> it's ah, uh, well, one of the most interesting things. There is a great introduction in the beginning um, by Tony Isabella, and he talks about this whole idea of the fact that creating these comics was was really really important and um that if you'd never really experienced them you're you're really in for some strange stuff and one of the main reasons that this feels so really different from the show is that the guys that were writing especially these first 6 issues and and doing the artwork they'd never seen star trek mm-hmm. And they'd really only seen some stills of some of the actors. Not all of them playing the characters. So they've never heard a word of dialogue spoken by William Shatner or anyone else. Um, They don't have any idea really what this show is going to be. They're just kind of going off the production artwork and things like that. And trying to craft what they think is going to be a Star Trek story. And it creates this really, really interesting set of stories especially here in this first volume volume one and we're going to cover the first three issues and then we're going to come back in a couple weeks and do the last three um, but man can you imagine writing a comic you've never seen the show that it's based off all you've seen is just some artwork pretty much and some stills of the actors
0: it's pretty crazy matthew i mean in a lot of ways it's it's kind of cool the things they got right and of course, the things they didn't quite get right. Uh, I, I get the feeling when I'm reading this, it's it's a, really a takeoff of what science fiction on television and in movies had been up until Star Trek. And Star Trek, of course, was very groundbreaking. Um, so when I'm I'm seeing some of these uh, bits of dialogue where they're putting the word space or lunar or galaxy in front of mundane terms to make them sound out there or crazy. You know, it really reminds me of some of those old serials, like the old black and white science fiction serials that, for example, Tom Paris was into when he created Captain Proton and that sort of thing. Um, I really have that old school sci-fi feeling with this mixed with just a pinch of star trek and it really creates this really interesting kind of melange of 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 craziness really
1: i'm really glad that you said that because that is i think exactly what i was thinking in my head this is much more captain proton with a hint of galaxy (laughs) Quest than it is really star trek absolutely Um, (laughs) and 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 in fact it really does harken back to those series in fact they even do um, have you ever seen the Clone Wars where they have at all the Clone Wars series Mm -hmm. for Star Wars oh yeah Um, you know they have the great opening and they always have the opening monologue just like those old serials will will this has those two the very first uh you know issue it has the little opening monologue it was the strangest civilization civilization in all of the universe more awesome than any man mind of man could conceive the expedition team from the star base ship uss enterprise soon regretted their decision to explore kg <laughs> i mean can't you just hear the announcement of like what's happening before the episode I mean, it really does play out like a 1930s serial. It's crazy. Yeah,
0: I had that exact same thought reading those uh, and and that exact voice, which I won't do because you you captured it perfectly there.
1: Well, and it's so funny because um, the narration kind of continues throughout the comics and you can hear that narrator voice doing it you know as the enterprise closes in on the planet she passes through an eerie space fog you know and just it's it's so great because you're seeing the pictures you know but as you're reading the words you're kind of imagining more of a radio play from the 30s um, you know like the phantom or something mm-hmm. like that then you're necessarily this and I, I think that's what kind of makes this special is that this does kind of show the specialness of star trek you know there is something ineffable about star trek um there is some quality to it and i think that it is the hope that star trek has uh of what mankind can become and that that kind of glorified perfect future that we all kind of desire for there to be except we also kind of feel like somewhere and I said sometimes that it's never really going to happen but but Star Trek gives us that hope you mm-hmm. know um, and I think that's what kind of set it apart its philosophy and its look on the future that was very different from just this where it's just kind of a ship going out and exploring the universe and really, kind of almost every, at least every comic here, um, most of the most of the issues, two out of the three issues we're going to talk about, the the people are bad guys that they're going to fight. Mm-hmm. They're they're not somebody they're trying to really go out and learn about. You know, Star Trek was about broadening our knowledge, getting to know other races. What became known as itic. There's none of that stuff here because, of course, you know, Star Trek hadn't even really invented that yet. It, Star mm. Trek was a growing process. But even in the very beginning, you know, even from The Cage and where No Man Has Gone Before, the second pilot, you really do get that feeling. And, of course, the second pilot, you really didn't see it in that order because you saw the man trap first. Um, but it's... There's just, again, there's something about Star Trek and that sets it apart and, and then has made people latch on to it immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this goes to show that if Star Trek had been like this, this was just what it was every week. I don't know. Dan, do you think it would have lasted?
0: I, I really don't think that it would have. Uh, and like you said, these are the things that set Star Trek apart. I'm reading these stories and... in Everyone, as soon as they beam down, they have their weapons out. You know there's just one little um one little aspect of this that I noticed every time was so many of the problems are solved by shooting them
1: <laughs> yes, know? yes, like even if you automatically this, shoot first, ask questions
0: exactly later. in this first story, for example, um basically, they're traveling around this galaxy. And there's no signs of life in this entire galaxy that they're exploring. Um,
1: it's a, uh, Apparently it's like a, a smaller galaxy, like, you know. Yeah, it's just a little one. It, yeah. You can explore
0: it in a week or so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's no life anywhere in this entire galaxy. And then they find this one planet that has life. And, well, the story ends with them obliterating all of the life on this world. And I mean, they have their reasons and that sort of thing, but it was just, it was such a contrast to the Star Trek we know and love that I immediately, like I wrote in my notes, so they find the only speck of life in this entire galaxy and obliterate it? (laughs) Like it's so anti-Star Trek.
1: (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and we'll we'll jump into talking about KG, planet of death, Um that's the that's the title of this issue and And then when
0: you hear what KG stands for it's a lot less threatening it's Planet Kelly Green.
1: Yeah, because the <laughs> planet is very green. So no nuance here folks. It's <laughs> just pretty much whatever's right in front of you. <laughs>
0: well, just wait till we get
1: to Planet Numero Uno. Yeah, that's, that's true. But, um, so what's great here, you know, they are, they're traveling through space. There, there's no indication of life in this galaxy. And then they find this planet that is steeped in vegetation and they're traveling through its atmosphere. And as they do, these giant spores start fastening to the hole and they, they, they literally come through the walls of the hole because we don't know about shields yet. Um, and, and they start attacking bones and, and Spock. And they're able to defend them, of course, by shooting them, as you said. And um, then they go down to explore this planet. Now, gotta love that they didn't know that it was called a transporter yet. So, they (laughs) they go to the teleportation chamber. Which, this is what's great about this, too, is that they don't have any of the sets. Mm -hmm. So, literally, the Enterprise is the creation of these guys in the comic they haven't seen they only know what the outside looks like they don't know what the inside looks like they don't know what the bridge looks like they don't know what the transporter room looks like or any of that so the enterprise inside looks very different from what we've come to know Mm -hmm. throughout the series
0: yeah, it's uh, and and kudos to their imagination. I kind of actually really like this teleportation chamber we see in all of these issues, with these kind of huge emitters on either side that are. I, I it actually really, I don't know. It looks kind of more like I would expect it would if you had unlimited budget and time and that sort of thing. It's pretty cool.
1: It is really interesting uh, when they're when they're creating these things, and it does again. It gives these comics their own look. And it, I think it's what makes them special and kind of sets them apart because this is the very first time we're seeing these kind of comics depicting Star Trek. And so they they teleport down to the planet and they always, they always make an instant later, you know, <laughs> like a millisecond later they arrive on the planet. Yeah, so it's I noticed a very that fast every present. issue. A microsecond later, they appear. What I thought was interesting is they beam down to the planet and it's like Kirk and... And Bones and Janice Rand, like, <laughs> which was funny because I was like, she didn't really go on a lot of away missions, if I remember correctly. Um, But it must have been that they had the picture of her. And they so they just put her in as she was going to be, you know, a big part of the, the show. And so I, I kind of love that. In fact, too, she <laughs> even has the beehive hairdo. Well, and I she has the- like a but like a beanie cap over it. <laughs>
0: well, I love that they must have looked at the picture of Janice Rand and been, well, that can't possibly be her hair. That's ridiculous. It must be a hat of some kind.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, they've been down to this planet and they, they're being almost immediately pulled into a cannibal plant that's trying to eat them. And one of the guys right before that has been hit by these spores that starts turning him into some kind of plant. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's the other thing about this is that this is that really wacky sci-fi where, Literally, the weirdest, strangest things are possible. With you know, the words
0: "incredible" and "fantastic" thrown about, literal, lib- liberally.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, yeah, it is. It is. It's one of those things too, because we're so used to Star Trek playing kind of by these certain set of rules, because they had them uh, of what they could do, especially in the '60s on a TV show. Mm-hmm. And here, of course, with a comic, it's literally just whatever your imagination wants to come up with. And these guys are letting their imaginations run wild.
0: <laughs> Issue one. Let's have it. Let's have an ensign turn into a tree.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and that happens. The ensign has turned into a tree, and this big tree starts beating up on the cannibal plant, and they're able to get away. And um, apparently, that plant. Is so tired that Ensign is so tired that basically he dies after his battle with the plant. And so they bury him. And it's like, man, hmm, the only place in the universe, at least in this universe, that has life. And we're going to bury you on this planet. And yeah, well, that's. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, no kidding.
0: I I also find it, and I mean, you can say this about any episode of the original series too. Is they've they've already had these spores attack the Enterprise and and get through the ship. Why aren't they wearing any kind of protective gear or anything like that? Or hmm. But
1: yeah, we have our weapons. We can just shoot it. And
0: man. the red shirts to throw in front so exactly. that we don't get hurt. <laughs>
1: Exactly. Well, they go walking around this planet, and they shoot more things, and um, they they find this cave to hide in. And as they're in this cave, Janice Rand is abducted by a plant, and this bestial plant whiplashes back and forth its prey, and apparently has you know tentacles that are as strong as a steel cable, and lashing like a bullwhip <laughs> great hannah and, <laughs> yeah exactly i love that great hannah uh and they take janice this this plant takes janice ran to this pen that's surrounded by this hedge of thorns that they can't shoot through because it keeps growing back too fast even after they shoot it
0: Ah uh, the one and, time shooting doesn't solve everything exactly. <laughs> I know
1: it's so weird uh, usually we just shoot things and it solves the problem um <laughs> but apparently this this planet has evolved or at least these plants have evolved to where these animals these that they've herded these plants have herded are used as the food for the carnivorous plants and yeah, it's just it's really really odd. In fact, it reminds me of there's a um, frontier doctor comic where there's some living plants on a planet. Mm, yeah, and it reminds me very much of, of this as well. Not quite as silly though. So, <laughs> well, it's set the
0: bar pretty high for silliness. But in that a fun is way, true. <laughs> that
1: is very true. Um, well, they they realized that they can't get through, obviously, this this pen that's surrounded by these thorns by shooting. And um, they also realized by kind of finding a place where they can kind of look over um, the pen, and they find Janus Rand, and they realize that all of these animals are being herded and led to the slaughter.
0: <laughs> and-, <laughs> and literally, there's just a couple large plants... Eating the animals as they're herded out of the the pen. Yeah,
1: it's it's not it's not really um, it's not really Janice Rand's day. Let's <laughs> just say that. I mean, she's had better days uh, on Star Trek. So Dan, if you can't shoot it with your phaser, what do you think? You probably what what, what should be the solution? Do you think um, Janice Rand is about to die? She's being herded by really really big. Um, you know, flesh-eating plants. What do
0: we do? Well, you got to kind of put yourself in the place of these Enterprise space pioneers out there on the fringe with little else to turn to for recourse. We're going to need a bigger gun.
1: And where do they find that bigger gun? But the Enterprise. Exactly. Where (laughs) Spock is listening to Kirk give him the coordinates, the exact Longitude and latitude of where she is. The celestial can,
0: longitude and latitude.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where they can pinpoint that position. And what are they going to do? They're going to blast. And Kirk tells the guys, pray. Guys, pray. <laughs> uh, which seemed very unkirk like A little um, bit. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit different. And so they blast the phasers, or the basically the big gun, because they're not even called phasers yet. And and I love Man, the I love the, the, blast the sound beam. effects
0: they're giving here. Zip a roo Zykes, roo
1: and puff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's bad. The blast kills everything else in the area except for Janice Rand. Phew, that was a close um, one. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um it it is very good that they they were they did not kill her. Mm-hmm. And so they do decide that the only thing to do, if these spores start spreading across the universe, they're going to cause catastrophe, and they would take over the galaxy. So again, what do we do?
0: Well, we're just going to have to obliterate all life.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just really seems like the only solution. I mean, is, I, don't, I don't think there's any other logical solution. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah.
0: And it's nope. definitely keeping with the Roddenberry philosophy.
1: Yes, yes. We don't want to try to talk to these plants. Um, we just want to annihilate them, and um, the 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 faster, the better. And so that's exactly what they do. And so I think that, again, this is what makes this so interesting is because we really are kind of looking at Star Trek through the lens of somebody else's vision, not that Gene Roddenberry vision, that mm-hmm. that vision that the writers helped create and kind of craft that first, second, third season of Star Trek. It, it it does make for a very strange but interesting experience to see what could have been if somebody else had created this idea of Star Trek and not Gene.
0: Very War of the Worlds, very Alien Invaders, The the other being, you know, any kind of threat has to be completely eliminated because it will take over the galaxy, you know, the kind of cue ominous music all aliens are are a threat maybe not literally but that's kind of the idea behind this story for example even some of the language they use at the end here like um ascribing motivations to these plants and that kind of thing like we must orbit that hideous little globe until all foliage upon it is decimated like you know it's a hideous planet they're killer cannibal plants they're horrible they awful they're awful they must be destroyed at all
1: costs as bone says earlier this incredible nation of vegetation <laughs> it must be annihilated yeah it is it is very funny you could um, do
0: like an electronic remix with those words almost
1: <laughs> yeah you really could um <laughs> what i'd love to i just I want some fan to go through and do the narration and the whole thing just as a radio play. (laughs) Absolutely. Because you really could. It would be awesome. (laughs) Well, the next issue that we have is called The Devil's Isle of Space. And, yeah, this was actually... I mean, this was more interesting because the people that they do come up against really are bad people. You know, they're not... um, you know, this isn't some kind of planet where they land on and, and, and uh, you know, it's whether or not it's intelligent life really or not because they never really discuss if it's intelligent life, those plants. This, these are, they've landed on what they don't realize at first is a penal colony. And this penal colony is, been set here on this asteroid because these asteroids explode. So, these people are people that are sentenced to death, but they spend their last—and nobody knows how long—but they spend their last years, days, hours, wondering when exactly it'll actually happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an interesting story, um, and and Star Trek does this in the future, of course. The you know. Um, prisoners on a planet and that kind of thing trying to escape and that sort of thing. But this was this was kind of an interesting story and uh yeah, we get the Enterprise kind of coming up against actual bad guys who are trying to deceive them and and again though, you know, they're bad guys and and we have to fight.
1: <laughs> well, and what's interesting here too is that um you you have not only these these bad guys um, that are trying to take over, uh, but, you know, there's no discussion here of what their actual crimes are. You know, are they really capital crimes as we would kind of think of them? They might even talk about, you know, execution or, you know, there's no discussion there uh, mm-hmm. about that in here. We just assume that, okay, these guys are probably murderers. Um, which I think is really interesting. so this this civilization sends these basically one way missiles, is what they call them, mm-hmm. and they land the people there and they land with enough uh, resources. And one of these guys on the planet has taken over, and basically he rules this little planet. so a- as long as he's alive, you know, he's kind of the boss. you know, he's like the mob boss of this planet. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's actually a really, it's really, on a whole, it's a better story. Now, what I love is that the Enterprise has been locked in orbit around this planet by some sort of energy field. Mm-hmm. So, the way that they get out of it is
0: with their counter energy. <laughs> well, anti-energy, of course, will counter energy, I guess. Right. I that mean, makes sense, sure.
1: I, why haven't we thought about this before? We just need counter energy. and <laughs> That's easy to create, you know? Like, and it's not at all like, you know, when we think of matter and anti-matter and they come together, they make this huge explosion. But, eh, energy and counter energy coming together, it's really not that big a deal. It just lets us slip through the force field.
0: <laughs> well, of course, yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. It's awesome. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man, that had me cracking up when I was reading this today at lunch work. Just because <laughs> there's no like, there's no rational thought behind it. It's just that cheesy sci-fi mm-hmm. idea, the, the and plot I just logic, it, 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 yeah, it's exactly.
0: What's needed to get them out of the whatever plot thing has them snared. So exactly, we write it, and it's so you know. <laughs>
1: Well, basically, Kirk is is taken captive by these guys. And um, the main guy tells... He, he's the Targru. And he tells Spock, Look, if you don't get us off of this place, you lose your captain. And Spock re- he was like, Well, it seems like an acceptable deal, Captain. <laughs> you should probably take it. And Kirk's like, No. And um, so Spock disobeys orders and sends down, he, he gets Scotty and the rest of the gang together and they help create basically their own missile because we don't have our own shuttlecraft or anything. That's not possible. <laughs> um, so they send down their own missile that they, they've created in about five minutes. Oh, of course. Uh, down to the planet as a ruse so that the Aliens are distracted so that they can then beam the rest of the, the captain and everybody up because these aliens are too close. And I did kind of like this, the whole thing. is They kind of extrapolated, okay, of the way that the, the transporter worked, okay, we just kind of beam up an area. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the people in the area, and if somebody's in that area, they're going to be beamed up too. So I just thought that was kind of smart. They they I mean they didn't have any idea that how the transporter worked at all, mm-hmm. but they kind of rationalized in their mind, and that actually kind of made sense. Yeah. See, at least they kind of
0: came up with that with this story. In the last story, there's no discussion whatsoever as to why they couldn't just beam Janice Rand out of that holding pen. I mean, the the spikes weren't keeping the transporter out, so they they just completely avoid that in this story. But in this one, at least they've they've thought it out and said, oh, this amazing device can probably get anybody out of any bad situation, so,
1: oh, here's why we can't do that. It's because the teleporter... I can't think of a reason. No, there's... Yeah, Yeah, no, (laughs) so... They're able to get away, and as they do, the uh, asteroid basically explodes. And that's how the issue ends with the devil's isle of space. Nothing but a floating cloud of dust now. It seems brutal to have left those people there. Uh, And then Spock says, Execution by asteroid explosion is the way of their society, and we had no other choice but to leave them, Captain.
0: It's almost kind of the first kind of inklings of the prime directive you know we don't want to interf- interfere in their society they blow people up with asteroids it's part of their cultural I heritage mean, who
1: are we to stop them <laughs> it's, it's not our it's not our responsibility no. so yeah um it is it is kind of like that except that it's it, this is the other thing too is then not knowing anything about the characters spock doesn't sound like spock he doesn't act like spock we don't really think of him that way mm-hmm. um and so it is a really interesting thing um, because these characters, Kirk kind of sounds like Kirk sometimes there a are little a few bit. Moments, yeah, and and Bones part of that's because sounds like Kirk Bones.
0: is such an archetype, right? I mean, yeah, that he true. was written yeah. as you know the fearless leader. So if you can yeah. kind of get that voice, you kind of have
1: Kirk. Yeah, basically, you write him as John Wayne, and you're good, right? Yeah, yeah. he just doesn't say partner a lot. <laughs> But uh, yeah, not not actually a bad issue. It's I think it's actually an improvement over the first issue for sure, mm-hmm. and at least story wise, and in, in kind of getting a, a teensy bit closer to what we might think of Star Trek, except for the fact that Spock acquiescing to the aliens so quickly. Oh, that seems like a great deal, Captain. <laughs> yeah, is <laughs> just is just insane. So, mm-hmm.
0: well. This brings us to issue three, which was actually, uh, I think, my favorite story of of these groups with the, uh, the city builders covering the entire planet with cities and destroying everything in their path.
1: Invasion of the city builders. When we last yeah. saw our heroes. <laughs> yeah. Automated destroyers. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It didn't... We'll we'll just do it because it's fun. (laughs) On a mystery planet, the edge of the distant galaxy, the crew of the Enterprise must match wits against mammoth machines. Giants of technological wizardry that stride across the terrain, slowly choking it to death with super cities. (laughs) Great
0: novas. (laughs) Yeah. I love d exclamations yes, you know, howling
1: comets is, i think was my favorite one it is awesome <laughs> it is awesome well this this episode is interesting this issue is interesting because um it starts off and their mission has been delayed because um they have rocket engine number four it's out of order and they gotta fix it ah, um always yeah. rocket
0: engine number four that one know, always gives Scotty really a problem.
1: and uh best part about it is that uh Captain Kirk, it seems like he, he's really into getting doing everything. You know, um, he's not out there, but they're talking directly to him about the engine, not Scotty. So, mm-hmm. I kind of like this. But the best part is the very next scene where um, they're talking about planet question mark. <laughs> I love these planet it, names. Yeah, I think that's where the Riddler's from. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, so they're they're talking about where they're going to go cuz they're they're supposed to be researching this planet. And Spock says, "I'll insert the film planetary history file." He literally has <laughs> like a film reel that he's going to insert into something so that they can watch it. I'm like, this is what I love about this kind of sci-fi is cuz there's no thought that we need to find a way to make something sound futuristic. No, they just pretty much use the exact same stuff that we have. They just fly through space. It's <laughs> or
0: and, awesome. and add the word galactic and lunar and solar in front of it.
1: And that'll make it Exactly. Futuristic. Exactly. Or when they're they're looking at their telescopic camera uh, <laughs> recordings that um Kirk talks about the fact that they have a bank of ultra-modern machines. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so you just throw these things in there. and I'm expecting them to get
0: a message from Starfleet Command on their astro-teletype machine.
1: (laughs) Well, and I mean, two lunar hours, one galaxy minute, sir. (laughs) I mean, goodness, yeah. Uh, It's just awesome. So they they get to this planet, and they're flying over the planet. And what I love, too, is that the Enterprise flies in the atmosphere all the time like it's it just does Mm -hmm. and they're orbiting this planet in the atmosphere and they're traveling for hundreds and hundreds of miles and all they see is city which it creates i think kind of a great mystery and then of course they reach the edge of the city and kirk decides that's where they need to beam down Mm
0: -hmm. i also love that the Enterprise flies through the atmosphere to kind of reconnoiter the area, and then say, "Okay, that's where we're going to go." Then they blast back up to orbit, and then beam people down. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting interpretation of what the Enterprise does. Yeah, with the, the wind shear
1: really bothers the teleportation. Um, <laughs> so when you're inside the atmosphere, yeah, you can't beam.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And, and, or, or teleport excuse me um, yes sorry yeah yeah, yeah. For, forgive me um I, I misspoke so they land on this planet and um all of these machines kind of show up to where they are they've they've noticed that there's some people there finally because they don't have sensors on the enterprise so no, they're that's yeah.
0: why they're flying through the atmosphere they're they're looking out exactly. the window yeah they're see just where looking out land. the windows
1: yeah those little portholes can you see anybody I don't know. I don't have any damn binoculars. <laughs> didn't send him one of those. Hey, yeah. Damn it,
0: Jim. I'm a doctor, <laughs> not a lookout. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so these machines start building this 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 city again, and Kirk is able to stop one of the the machines with his um, with his laser gun. Of course. Uh, and yeah, because the beam of super intensified light streaks into the machine's innards and I think you have short circuited a captain. Oh, it's just <laughs> awesome. Does this look at all like Doctor Seuss Trek to you? This this whole issue?
0: I could see that a little bit, yeah, with the <laughs> especially kind of the uh outfits that these guys are wearing and stuff. It's
1: that and the machines that they they use, especially when they're telling their story to Kirk about, you yeah. know, how machines, they, they became so dependent on machines that they basically lost all the ability to, to do anything. Um, and the machines just, they had made them so smart, but without any idea of what humans actually need that they just kept doing what their directive was, which is to build. Mm-hmm. Um, so it reminded me a lot of Wally. Oh as yeah, well. yeah. You know, Absolutely. where humans they just kind of consume and they make all these machines and everything and everything kind of goes to hell in a handbasket yeah. or a really large city. <laughs> <laughs> I think
0: that's probably one of the reasons this story was my favorite of all of them. It it kind of actually has a message to it and almost even a Star Trek type message which was interesting you know the kind of complacency of of the humans or sorry the people of this planet not being able to learn anymore or do anything for themselves because the machines have taken over it really felt like an original series plot in some ways
1: it really does and i'm with you i i like this issue the most uh, and i mean it's pretty simple issue they're able to figure out how to stop these machines um spock does a bunch of metallurgical analysis on the machines they find out that it amino acids that they may they melt this metal real quick and Mm -hmm. they're able to stop these machines and these people basically say by the end hey we're gonna we're going to learn how to be real people again. We're going to learn how to make our own food and do our own stuff. And we're going to learn, we're going to, well, with the amino acids, they're actually going to be able to melt down there in these huge cities and reclaim the land as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's going to take a long time. It's a bit this of a planet mammoth project. This is big and it's basically t- turned into Coruscant.
0: <laughs> yeah um also i felt that was very star trek as well that that spock solves the problem through science rather than let's just keep shooting this stuff yeah exactly they
1: can't just keep shooting things so yeah the series is really growing so just kind of uh piecing together these these three issues um in the first three in volume one what would you end up ranking just the goalkeeper comics so far Oh, see, th-
0: this is tough because, you know, I have 50 years of Star Trek kind of backlogged that is weighing against this comic a little bit. So it's, it's hard not to take that and uh, figure it into my rating of this because, of course, you know, there wasn't anything for these guys to go off of. So trying to kind of take it as it is by itself in a vacuum with no other Star Trek to influence it. Um, I think I could have been quite interested in this, in this comic, especially if the pattern continues, right? Because the first story was kind of, eh, I didn't really enjoy that all that much. Second one was better. Third one, I think is a huge improvement. So my hope would be that it would keep going up. So I would, hmm. I think I would rate it a good three great galloping galaxies.
1: You, you raise something that is interesting because, you know, how, how do you judge this? Do you try to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who's reading this originally? Right. Or do you take it on nostalgia factor, which, you know, I, I think would be okay as well, mm-hmm. um, so that you're – you're judging it from the Star Trek that you know, but you're also kind of placing yourself back there. Or do you just judge it by today's standards and say, eh, "That sucked," um, <laughs> you know, because it's it's not it's not what we know. And you know, I'm I, I'm I it's a hard thing because I'm going through this right now. I'm watching the original, the very original Battlestar Galactica, and I'm having a really hard time with it. We're going to talk about it on the Six Hundred Two Club next week. But here, I think, especially once we get to that third issue, it really is starting to seem a lot more like the Star Trek that we do know. And I do have to cut these guys some slack because they don't have the benefit of knowing what the characters always look like, all of them, what they sound like, and really what the entire premise of this show is going to be the, the 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 philosophy of it you know they're not working with gene um you know and, and they're not in the writer's room so they don't understand the ideas that are being bounced around at all and so i really do have to cut these guys some slack because like we've said earlier there hadn't been anything like star trek before it was completely new when it came to science fiction. Mm-hmm. And I don't think science fiction would be revolutionized again. Until well the space opera came out with Star Wars. Right. And yeah. we got the space fantasy. Like that. So. You know I'd really give this. I think I'm going to give this. Um, I'm going to give this three out of five incredible nations of vegetation. Um, <laughs> because I, I really do. I think. That for any fan of of original Star Trek, this is just kind of a gem to read and to enjoy and to kind of see. I, I think what it really does is is what we were talking about in the beginning. It helps you really appreciate the the thing that Star Trek actually is, and that and it completely became. I think by the time we got to. Um, the best of Star Trek, something like, uh, you know, honestly, Deep Space Nine, where we're really digging into this idea of this Federation and this idea of this kind of utopia and all of those putting the test, the Roddenberry ideas mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it it is that idea of hope that keeps us coming back, I think, to something like Star Trek or even to something like Star Wars you know, because there's this this element of hope to it that things will get better and in completely different ways through both of them. But I think they tap into something that was is just kind of resonates with us as humans. and um that's what kind of sets Star Trek apart from other properties. And you know, these comics don't completely hit the mark, but that's okay mm-hmm.
0: and especially when you think of like we've talked about what they had to work with. I'm assuming the reference photos they had were probably black and white, uh, because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, the uniform colors they're getting wrong, uh, in one, in the one frame that she appears in issue two, it looks like they got the color of Uhura wrong, <laughs> but you know, again, you know, just working from, from black and white photos, I'm assuming, uh, you know, and, and very, very limited reference material, they've crafted honestly quite a bit of, of really imaginative stuff. And even some of the things we've made fun of, like the galaxy minutes and lunar hours and stuff that was, if you think about it, somebody trying to, um, make sense of universal time or something like that, because, you know, if a minute or an hour is different on a different planet, or a day is completely different on a different planet than it is on Earth. And somebody, when they're writing this, possibly, maybe I'm giving them too much credit, but I think must have thought of that and thought, well, we have to have some sort of standardized unit. So they call it, you know, a galactic minute. Well, that might, might be a standard minute or something like that. And like in the later issues, we'll get the interplanetary language of Esperanta, which uh, is in, an interesting way around if they haven't thought of the universal universal translators, for example. Uh, it's it's really very imaginative, and I think they did really an admirable job.
1: Well, Dan, I loved getting the opportunity to just sit around and, and talk these with you because I have really been wanting to do this for a while. Um, you know, the Gold Key comics, the issue... Uh, the Gold Key Comics Volume 1 has been out a while. We've got Volume 2 and Volume 3 is is dropping this year. So I'm excited to, to just kind of slowly be able to continue to digest these with you and kind of walk through them and, and really see how they grow. But it's not the only thing that we have been talking about this week on here on Trek FM. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. <laughs>
0: Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It's not an overstatement, and he had said in your introduction that without without him and his hand guiding all of this, then then it's unlikely that 2 would have been what it was, and if it had not been successful, then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of Star Trek at that point. Earl Grey. Like, I'm expecting Ricardo Martavon to, like, walk around the corner and be like, Captain Picard, welcome. This is Rice of Five. <laughs> the shuttlecraft. The shuttlecraft. The orb.
1: Curzon is involved with the Kittimer yep. courts. Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other They probably least. hung out in the bar together. To the journey! <clears throat> One
0: guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out! Now,
1: <laughs> The Ready Room The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of the Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, the Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation.
0: Commentary Trek stars.
1: It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary
0: treks. Well, I've always liked the. Uh, I like that episode for, I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the scalbians the Six O Two Club. Like I, I could kind of dismiss droids in distress and fight or flight and everything like that and i was just kind of watching the background but all of a sudden i started catching myself like stopping working and, and just focusing on watching and uh, and so it just got better and better and better and i think i was hooked by episode four breaking rings that's when i was like okay i like this show this is good warp five in the history of axonar Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And
1: that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. Now, you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, there are a couple ways that you can really help us out. Hitting that subscribe button helps us rise in the iTunes rankings as do star ratings and reviews. And guys, these really do help. They they change our placement in the ratings for iTunes and make it easier for people to find the show when they search in iTunes. And it makes us more visible as well. The more star Ratings than reviews we get, so we really appreciate all of you who do that. And I'd love to ask you: just go to iTunes, spend a couple of minutes, give us a quick star rating, and tell us what you like about the show. And we'll definitely give you a shout out when you do because um, it it definitely helps us out, and it helps other fans of Star Trek and Star Trek books be able to find the show. But if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help the network is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. And this is one of the th- things that is really important, guys. We are a listener-supported network, and and honestly, without you, we can't afford to make all this happen. It costs a lot of money, Um to to get all this stuff done and to keep it online for you with the storage space and all that. And so we appreciate all those who are already supporting us. And if you'd like to, just go to patreon.com/slash trekfm, that's p a t r e o ncom You'll find current goals and milestone contribution levels along with great perks that we have for you. You get early access to content, exclusive content, producer credit seats on the content development team and NOR. In fact, I was just contacting some of our Patreon supporters that uh, are APs on my show. And so I can set up them getting that extra content and that exclusive content, which is the early access, they'll have the shows before anybody else. So if that's something you would like to have, be able to listen to those shows beforehand, we can make that happen by supporting us on Patreon. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm contact if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, that would be great to have. Just go to the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash Fm. And Dan, where do you think the best place for people to have a conversation with us is right now?
0: Well, there's a few options out there. The Babel Conference is uh, on Facebook is really great. We're always on there. You're able to uh, contact us, talk about any kind of discussion star trek related star trek book related there are quite a few discussions going on there and also right now our goodreads group um the literary treks goodreads group is a great place to talk about all of the novels and comics we discuss on the show or any novel and comic in the star trek universe
1: those really are fantastic places and uh, you'll find both of them on uh, the show page they can get links there with the Babel conference just go type the Babel conference into the search field on Facebook you can also go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar and then under Goodreads, if you just type in Literary Treks, you can find the group that way as well. And so we'd really like to thank our associate producers, Will Wynn, who's at Will underscore win on Twitter. And of course, he's on the Babel Conference. He is the associate producer for Orb and girl Grey and Trek FM's content coordinator. If you've got any ideas for some future shows, just send him an email at will.win at Trek.fm, or you can tweet him. And I'd also really like to thank Ken Tripp for his support of the network and being an associate producer here on Literary Treks. It means so much to us. Well, Dan, when you're not running up against cannibalistic plants and running for your life, where can we find you?
0: Well, that's, uh, you know, takes up a lot of time. And of course, I'm fearing for my life most of the time. But when that's not happening, uh, you can find me uh, on my website. Uh, where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new, and that's at www.treklet.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash and I have a couple of Twitter feeds. Uh, my personal one is at um, kertrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S, and my website has its own Twitter feed, at Reviews. And Matthew, when you're not desperately trying to save Janice Rand from those same carnivorous plants, where can we find you?
1: Well, goodness, I'm, I'm glad she's okay. Because, wow, if anything happened to Janice, I just don't know what
0: to do. She even managed to keep her hat. That was pretty impressive. Yeah, she did.
1: <laughs> uh, she's a lucky girl. Anyway, uh, you can find me at mattrushing02 on Twitter. You can also find me on the Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. I also do the Six Hundred Two Club. We talk about all things geeky there. We just pick a great co- topic each week and talk about it. So, say this week uh, we talked about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is really fun. And um, so you can catch out all our great conversations there. And then I have my own personal blog at Forty Two A Life in Between not wordpress.com. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.